Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. our speaker for today. You got to meet him last week, one of my best friends in the whole world, and now our newest pastor uh, overseeing all of our family life, kids ministry, uh, parenting, marriage ministry, all of that kind of stuff. They're in the process of moving here from Colorado, Denver, Colorado. They're becoming Texans. He's so excited. Pastor Adam, come on up and bring us a great word on the genius of Jesus. Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Joel. Can we give a big hand for Pastor Joel? You guys have one of the best pastors in the entire world. I'll tell you what. Uh, Joel shared this last week, and um, it's just good news because it's worth repeating. But uh, him and I have been friends for literally almost our entire career, if you will, in ministry. We met uh, over 20 years ago, and uh, he's just been a rock in my life. And uh, so I just thank God for him. Thank God for Pastor Jen. And uh, man, I'm becoming a Texan. So I'm moving from the Rocky Mountain area, the dry, uh, mile high um, just dryness is all I've got to say. And, uh, so I like to come back here, um, and just get a little bit of humidity on my skin and remind myself how to refresh and rehydrate. So, uh, but man, I am just, uh, looking forward to continuing the series, the genius of Jesus, the genius of Jesus. And we're going to look at Jesus today at a specific point that is so pivotal when he was 12 years old. And even at the age of 12, he was absolutely bringing astonishing and just mind-blowing information uh, that people could not believe it. So uh, what I want to do first, though, is we're going to pray, uh, and then we're going to jump right into the Word, because we got a lot of work to do today, all right? So Father, in Jesus' name, we just love you. We thank you for everything that you've given us. We just praise you for this opportunity to just worship together. It's been such a good service already. We could just close right now. But Lord, I pray a bold prayer. I pray that I would decrease that you would increase inside of me. Lord, that they would not hear my words, but they would hear the rhema word of God. And Lord, we thank you that today is our day. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. So I want to go here. Let's go here to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, and we're going to begin in verse 41. Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. And it says this, that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he, speaking of Jesus, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Parents, how many know Jesus is about to get in trouble here? Um, I, I've never um, lost a child for three days, but I've lost a child for three minutes. And parents, if you've ever had that happen at a mall or at a concert or in the middle of some kind of activity, how many know you have this moment where it's like not just, a, oh my goodness, we've misplaced our child. It's the, come on, mom. It's the, ah, freak out, right? We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But verse 44, it says, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. 
So what would happen here is they would go in masses to the Passover. Everybody that was in their group, their tribe, if you want to call it that. And so there were a lot of people there. This is how Jesus gets misplaced. And so the kids would typically walk in the front of the parents and they just assumed because it was Jesus, come on, he was sinless, that Jesus, you didn't really probably have to look out for him. Like he would do what he was supposed to do, right? He was Jesus. He was a good boy. Um, But Jesus had other priorities apparently. And in verse 45, it says, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts. Does anybody else think that's funny besides me? Because Jesus just had this habit of disappearing for three days at a time. And would absolutely, every time he would leave and not be found for three days, whether it was the resurrection or whether it was when he was 12, how many know that a panic broke out with all the people that he was connected to? And so I want to look at a few things here because we can pick up some really cool revelation. The first thing was, is that Mary and Joseph had a custom of going to, sorry, my mic's popping a little bit, uh, going to the festival of the Passover which is really cool because this means that they were really keeping God's commandments. They were doing the right thing at the right time. And parents, I want to encourage you, no matter who your children are or your teenagers or people that you love that are younger, if you keep taking them to the right place, doing the right thing at the right time, God will see victory for your children. Part of the reason Sarah and I are coming out here is that we want to see kids ministry healthy and we want to see it explode for the sake of your family. We want to see it for the littlest ones to the teenagers. We want to see their lives change. And if you will keep doing the right thing, and it's hard. How many in here, just by an uplifted hand, have a really busy schedule? How many have a really busy schedule? How many have two schedules? How many have three schedules? How many live really far from the church on top of it, right? And so, uh, but I want to encourage you, man, when you get your kids to youth group on Wednesday nights, when you get your kids here uh, on Sundays, sometimes it's more important for them than it even is for you. And my heart and Sarah's heart is that we see generational blessing in this church. I believe this, there's no true success without succession. And we have to continue to raise up the next generation. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we see this, they're coming into Jerusalem, which is the city of peace, which is so cool because anytime you follow Jesus or you're with Jesus, he'll lead you to a place of peace. Now I can say, I haven't always felt that way. I've followed Jesus and I felt anything but peace. But if you stay with him long enough, he'll lead you to a place of peace. Secondly, what we see here is that he was going to the festival of the Passover. But it's very ironic because he was going to become the Passover lamb for the world. The Passover lamb for the world is going to the festival of the Passover. And when they would take Jesus's life, and when he would resurrect, he began and created salvation for the entire world. So the Passover lamb is going to the Passover, to the place of peace, and he was 12 years old. Now, why they didn't have an account when he was 11 or 10, because he went to the Passover every year, I believe that there's a certain um, significance to the number 12, a certain significance to the number 12. And I just want to share some things in history within scripture of what the number 12 was. Historically, 12 is the number of authority. 
12 is the number of government, and 12 is the number of order. Jacob had 12 sons, which would eventually become the 12 tribes of Judah. Jesus had 12 specific disciples, 12 apostles. And in Revelation chapter 7, we see 12,000 are chosen from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. You guys catching this? The new Jerusalem will have 12 gates, each man by 12 angels. So the Passover lamb going to the place of peace, bringing order in authority. And I just want to tell you this. When you get your life in order the way that God wants you to live it, it will put authority inside of you to speak the things that are dead and bring life to it. It will give you the authority to see areas in your life that seem like it's in complete chaos. And God will give you the authority to divinely get your hands in it and fix it because it's not by our power. It's by his power. I love the verse that says, let this mind be in me, which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, let the genius of who you are be inside of me because that genius gives me authority. But we still got a problem. Jesus is missing. Where'd he go? Where's Waldo? My son, we were in a furniture store, and this was several years back, and uh, it was a huge furniture store, not as big as you have in Texas, because everything's bigger in Texas, but for Denver size quality, it was big, and we, we had that Joseph and Mary moment. And we were really fixated on a few couches. And uh, did we want to get this one or did we want to get this one? And then we looked around and Jonathan was missing. So, you know, you stay calm at first. Okay, he's got to be around here somewhere. And so a minute goes by, two minutes go by. And, uh, you know, I'm the more calm one. I'll just say that because my wife's not here. So I'm not going to get in trouble till I get home. Hi, honey. I love you. Um, my wife has a personality that she can play it cool for maybe two minutes when it comes to her kids. Like, she's the kind of person that, like, if our kid gets a paper cut, they get three Band-Aids for the fingers. She's just that mama bear. And she looks around, and I can tell her face is starting to get red, her, her breathing. She can't control it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're about to have a scene, and they're not going to sell us anything in this store. And so uh, Mama Bear just gets upset, and she's like, Adam, I'm, I'm starting to freak out. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, everyone can see this. And so I'm trying to come in, baby, he's around here somewhere. There's couches, there's TVs, there's movies playing over here. Like, let's go look. So we look. Three minutes go by. Four minutes go by. She's like, oh, my God. And she starts remembering this documentary that she saw in, like, 60 minutes. And these kids were abducted. And, you know, she starts, you know how your brain can just freak out? Just the, aw, freak out, right? And so she's freaking, like, honey, I'm trying to talk her off the ledge. She's like, no, somebody better find my baby. Jonathan! Jonathan, mama's here. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to kick us out. They're going to think we're on drugs. And finally, uh, I go, babe, let's just go to the front of the store and see if they can page him and see if we can find him. You go, it's too far away. I'm like, just no, it's 20 feet. It's right over there. Let's go talk to somebody. So she literally jumps in, cuts the person in line that's paying for their stuff, just acting cray cray. And she goes, I need you to page my son. I need you to page my son. She's like, ma'am, calm down. We'll do that. We didn't see any little kids walk through the outside doors. Everything is fine. So they get on the pager, and this is how they say it. They said, Jonathan, your party is waiting for you <laughs> in the front of the store. Again, 
Jonathan, paging Jonathan Bagwell, your party is waiting for you in the front of the store. And I just see this little head stick out of a couch in the back of the store. And he's like, party, let's go. And he runs straight down the aisle all the way to the front. So he's excited. And now he's upset. Mom's already about to cry. My baby, my baby. And JT's like ticked off because there's no party for him in the front of the store. And he was in the middle of watching his show, right? So um, two completely different perspectives of what should be taking place. And right here, we get right back into the story and they find him. And he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And when his parents saw him, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus has the nerve to say this after being gone for three days, the sinless son of God. This is the only person that would ever get away with this and not get a firm Southern beating. Are you in here? Jesus says, why are you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, let's, let's take the spiritual hat off real quick. If your kid responded to you like that, how many know you would go from being panicked that you can't find him to just glad that you caught him and you're going to serve him up something good? Just... Didn't you know? Like, why wouldn't you know that I needed to be in my father's house? And they were astonished by it. Here's the thing. There's something about when you're looking for Jesus, and I want you to catch this, that there's something special about the father's house. There's something special about the temple. There's something that is sacred about getting together and worshiping together. There's something just powerful about being in the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you, everyone watching online, I've been watching line, online almost every week um, because this is my house. This is my new family. But I'm telling you, there's a big difference from a screen on a computer and being here on the front row with all these wonderful people. And I just encourage you, if all you can do is online, like we've been there, that's all we can do is get online to be part of the family. I want to encourage you, though, if you can get here, you should be here because there's something about an atmosphere in the presence of God. Didn't you know, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And in first. 50, like many of us, they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Looking a few verses back, we see that they were astonished by the genius of Jesus, even at 12 years old. And there's something that's pretty cool about the Jewish culture is that it wasn't just that his answers were great. And he's talking to in this temple with some of the most intelligent, theologically um, in, enhanced people, if you will, people who know their scripture upside and down, people who have had the Torah memorized. And he is so profound. They're astonished with the knowledge that he's giving them. But in this culture, the thing that's so cool, and I think we need to learn more in our Western culture, is that. Part of what showed the intelligence of these people and the intelligence of Jesus is that he asked really good questions. 
If you watch his life, when he deals with the Pharisees and he deals with religious people, he doesn't try and hammer the word down their throat most of the time. But he would ask a question with a question. He always took their question and got out of it with another question that was better. And every time he would respond with the right question, as was the Eastern Jewish culture, it would completely shut down situations that could have gone hostile. I want to tell you, a mark of wisdom isn't always giving what you know. It's asking the right questions. Joel and I were talking about this uh, one of the times I was here, I think a week or two ago. But part of good mentorship and part of good even like life coaching, part of getting people to see who they are in Christ is asking the right questions. And Jesus was a master of this. So they finally find him. And after he does whatever he did in the temple for three days, it says that he was submissive. It says that he went back with his parents. And I really like this because Jesus shows us that we have to lead by submission. We have to be able to be good followers of Christ. And how many, just when you hear that word, you don't have to raise your hand because I know you're more spiritual here than Texas. If I was in Colorado and would ask this question, every hand in the room would go up, but I know that you're better. But how many just don't even like the word submission, right? Like you hear the word submission and you're like, not me. They can submit to me. I'm not submitting. And here Jesus shows that even though he's the son of God and has work to do, he does what his mom asks him. Even in Jesus's ministry, it was submissive. He looked at his mom at the wedding and she says, do whatever he tells you because they ran out of wine. Do you remember this? And he looks at her and says, my time has not yet come. And she just checks him like, listen, I'm still your mama. Do what I'm telling you to do. And Jesus is like, cool, and then comes up with this whole plan, and the ministry gets started. Why? Because he was submitted. I want to tell you, young leaders, those of you that aspire to do great things in ministry or business, until you learn how to submit, until you learn how to be a good team member, until you learn how to say yes, even though you don't agree with it, I'm telling you, you will never do great things. But when you're like Christ at the wedding, when you're like Christ at the temple, in fact, it goes even higher. You guys want to see the highest point? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is so stressed that it says that he physically sweat blood. And he looks up to his father, and he says something that's very bold. And he says, God, if it is possible, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus on the cross, crying out to his father in his last breaths, saying, Father, why have you? In fact, he didn't say father. He says, God, he feels so detached in the moment of submission. Why have you forsaken me? Sometimes submission, there's some pain. Sometimes submission, it's confusing. But I think when we look at how Jesus models it, it's actually something that's beautiful because it allows us to connect to the Lord. It allows us to connect to other people in a way that we normally wouldn't. Strength, submission, excuse me, is not weakness. Submission is strength 
up under control. Pastor Joel's been one of my good friends all through ministry. But when I'm here at Oaks Church, this is my pastor. Why? Because I trust him. We love him. In fact, I made a bold statement with Sarah, and we were kind of in a transitioning season. I said, there's only two people that I would ever consider submitting and coming under because I trust them. And it was Pastor Joel and another friend of mine, Pastor Israel, who pastors in L.A. And we know that L.A. is not where I'm supposed to be. Can I get a good amen? <laughs> if I go from Colorado to L.A., I could be really messed up. I'm just messing. All you those watching in L.A., we love you very much. And uh, make sure to click on that donation tab and help us keep pushing forward. So, um, But no, I love this church. I love this ministry. Uh, and I know that God has something. So are you guys ready for this? What God's going to do in our kids' ministry and our youth ministry and what God's going to do in marriages and lives. And when we get the right heart for it and we get the right motive for it, it's not so that we can have attention or be powerful or all these different things. It's just that we can love on Jesus and love on other people and watch his will be done. Didn't you know we had to be about the father's business? We got to be in the father's house. And it says this because of his heart of submission. This is, this is like one of those power verses. Do you guys like power verses? Like there's certain verses that challenge me. And then there's other that are like vitamins. They're like, it's just a power verse. And this is a power verse. Luke 2.52 says this. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And say the next part with me on the count of three. One, two, three. And man, with God and man. And this is our prayer for this church, for these kids, for these students, is that they would grow in wisdom and they would grow in favor. My son's 14 years old, and I'm pretty sure he's almost doubled in height. The stature thing, not a problem. The wisdom thing, we're working on that every now and then. He is full of favor, though. My son has amazing favor. But he literally, I think he's grown like six or seven inches this year. It's been crazy. And he's eating me out of a... Um, out of the house because the kid can eat more than like three people. He's that kid right now that like we all finish our dinners and like if we didn't finish what we had, he'll clear everybody else's plate off and then in about 30 minutes want a snack. Like he's just in that stature growing place in his life. And um, I watch him and how he's interacting with his friends and I'm watching him and how he's growing up. And my son, he's growing in wisdom and in favor. And I want to tell you, uh, maybe there's a mom in here and you're <laughs> discouraged with where your teenager's at. Or maybe there's a dad and you're frustrated and you're trying to get your family back on course. I'm telling you, as you submit to the Lord and you lead your house from the context that God wants you to lead it, your kids in Jesus' name, they're going to grow in wisdom and they're going to grow in favor. I wanted to finish with this. We uh, were pastors in the Chicago area. And we were in South Chicago. Um, and if anybody knows anything about South Chicago, how many know it's a little rough out there? We were in a city called Joliet. It's about 40 minutes south of Chicago. And down the street from our church was one of the largest penitentiaries uh, in the nation called, uh, I'm going to mess it up, Stateville, I'm going to mess it up. But anyway, one of the largest penitentiaries in the, in the nation. And it was for female and males. And a lot of times what would happen is 
one parent would go to jail or prison and the other parent would go as well. And so grandma or grandpa or an aunt or an uncle would take care of these children and take care of these kids. And it was super dysfunctional, right? A lot of these people couldn't afford to take care of their own kids. And now they're trying to take care of other kids. And so Sarah and I, the joke of the church was, because I was coming from Highland Ranch, Colorado, uh, just that's the McKinney of Colorado. And I was coming from Highland Ranch and I'd never seen this before. I'd never dealt with the ministry situation, especially as a pastor where it was day to day, uh, week after week. And so Sarah and I have just felt, and, and they were joking with it all the time. They were like, oh, it's the Pastor Barbie and Ken. That's what they'd call us, the Pastor Barbie and Ken. If you've never seen my wife, she's got beautiful blonde hair and just a knockout. And uh, so they would joke uh, that we were the Pastor Barbie and Ken. And um, I remember I was speaking just like this. And I just felt the Lord speak to me. Because I was just praying. I'm like, gosh, I feel this such a disconnect. Like, we don't have a lot in common, you know? And Lord, teach me, show me what to do to connect with this church that you've called us to pastor. And so in prayer, I felt the Lord deal with me. I was actually speaking, and then I prayed about it later. And he said, I want you to go to their houses, anybody that would let you come into their house, and I want you to pray in their home, bring them some gifts, we bought some families groceries that we knew were in need. We brought other people anointing oil. We brought other people by. We were just like, you know, trying to be a blessing. And we had this huge amount of faith. Our faith was, because our church was smaller then, man, if we could get 30 families to sign up, that would just be amazing. You know, like 30 times 4, 120, like that'd be 120 people. And then we'll have them bring their relatives over and like maybe they'll do like a barbecue. I'm telling you what happened, ladies and gentlemen, is our faith at 30, God put his hand on it. And three weeks later, we had over 130 houses sign up for prayer. <laughs> is that crazy? You clap now. I was not clapping. Because I had to now go to 130 houses all throughout the, the Chicago Metroplex, which isn't always easy to get around in. But it was amazing. It absolutely changed my life and changed Sarah's life. And what we saw was there were so many children in need and so many teenagers who needed a touch of God. And I believe this, even in McKinney, it's not the situation like South Chicago, but there are young people that are out there right now who need to be at Oaks Church. They need to, they need to hear the word of God. And you know what? They got a pastor that will relate to them and speak to them. In fact, we cut our teeth preaching to teenagers. This is going to be a house that's full of teenagers, that's full of kids, that's full of broken families. And man, I remember going into this one house and we're going to pray but I was at this one house and we were it was called the hill one way in one way out we went at 10 in the morning on Saturday because a white boy does not go there uh, late at night it's not good in fact the police stopped me and were like what are you doing here on the hill and I'm like I got a member of our church we want to bring him groceries and uh, so there's a gang member that stood at the edge of the hill and uh, said you got 15 minutes and so we went up the hill, project area, went to this house. This lady answered the door so high, she couldn't even say her name. 10 in the morning on a Saturday. Said, hey, I'm Pastor Adam. I never met her before. Said, who are you? She was trying to mumble. I could see her trying to mumble, just ashamed. 
eight kids, rowdy, of course. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a bold guy. We're gonna pray. Circle up, we're gonna pray. One kid said, I'm not blankety blank praying. That's and he runs out the house. Another kid says something else. He goes out of the house. Well, there's about six of us left. We started praying. And what I saw, it's a little six-year-old, youngest of the group. And I could see tears coming down his eyes. A few weeks later, we had this huge kids event. We called it Children's Explosion. And we put bikes on the stage and we put video games on the stage. And we put all these different things to get kids because out there, man, they didn't have a lot to get a bike. I remember a kid crying. We gave him a bike, $60 bike from Walmart. Not a big deal. Just seeing it, I saw the same little boy that was up with me in the projects, six years old. And my buddy Eric Hamp took an altar call and he gave his life to the Lord right there. And I just felt my heart. I'm like, yeah, that's what the church is about. That's what the church is about. It's seeing people who are broken restored. It's seeing people who don't know him feel the love of God. It's about people who know that this is a place to be healthy and that it's safe. It's not judgmental, but it's full like Jesus was as the Passover, full of the grace of God. And for me, that's the genius of Jesus. Can we pray this morning? Father, we thank you and we love you. We honor you. And Lord, we just submit our life to you. And we pray that you would use us in an amazing way. God, we lift up kids. We lift up teenagers. We lift up college students. We lift up single people. We lift up marriages, whatever stage of life they might be in. Lord, and I pray that you would continue to do this special thing that you're doing at Oaks Church. Lord, Sarah and I are honored to just team up and be a part of it. Can't wait to move our family out here and get planted. Lord, we just thank you that today is your day and that you're going to continue to move each and every week through this wonderful church family. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has... We want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.